You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. It's great to come together. I pray that um, as we've worshipped this morning, you've been reminded that our God is great. Um, So many distractions in life right now, so many uh, things that we could focus on. I pray that as we go through our weeks that we would be focusing on the fact that our God is great and uh, He is able to get us through anything that uh, He brings our way. And um, so um, just, uh, just a good time to refocus this morning. Excited about getting into God's Word this morning. Uh, just a, a welcome to those joining us online again uh, this morning. We, uh, we're so thankful that you are able to join us in this way. Uh, again, we understand that there are different reasons why people can't be here right now, and so uh, we're thankful that you can join us this way, and if, if you just want to uh, indicate that you're with us today, we'd love that, and if you have any questions about our church, you can send that to admin at redemptioncalgarynorth.ca. I Earl Romans, it's, uh, it's an okay book, right? What do you think? So far, it, it's incredible, right? Every week we're being challenged. Uh, Romans uh, chapter 6 has, has been... Um, really focusing on what is your reality. Your reality as a result of coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In the first uh, couple of weeks as we've been studying Romans 6, we've seen that our reality is that we are united to Christ. That as such, we ought to live for God. And, uh, and this morning, we're going to look at that, the fact that we are slaves to God. Did you hear what I just said? Slaves to God. So I've been thinking about this. I think um, as Canadians, we, uh, we love our freedom, don't we? Let's just be honest. We've grown up, if you've grown up in the country, there's a whole lot of talk about freedoms, things we can do as a result of living in this country. A lot of people immigrate to this country as a result of the freedoms that we enjoy here. And I wonder if some of that talk, some of that influence from our culture has kind of tainted our understanding of the Bible. Because uh, this morning I've entitled the sermon, A Slave to Whom? Spiritually speaking, you are either a slave to sin or you're a slave to Jesus Christ. There is no third option. And and I know, even in this church, I know that there are people who have listened to the fact that the Bible says that we are slaves and they're like, we're out of here. This church is teaching that we're slaves? How terrible is that? No, the church is not teaching that we are slaves. The Bible is teaching that we are slaves, and that's our authority, right? That's our authority, and as the church, we submit to that. We come under that, and in this morning, I, I wanted to just kind of preface that, the, the whole sermon with that. Listen, I, yes, are you called a child of God? Yes, you are called a child of God. Uh, are, you, are you called the chosen one? Yes, you are called the chosen one. But you are also called a slave of God in this text. You cannot pick and choose. Like, ah, I'm just going to go with the chosen one, right? That, that's the one I'm, I prefer. You can go with the slave if you like, but I'm going to go with the chosen one. No, you are a slave of God. So what, is, what are we talking about uh, when we talk about being a slave to God? Well, we're going we're gonna to look at that this morning, but I want us to just examine our hearts. Am I... Am I ready to accept that? 
Am I ready to accept that the, the scriptures say that, that I'm either a slave to sin or a slave to God? I think many of us in our age take on what a Greek philosopher said 2,000 years ago. This is what a Greek philosopher said. Is freedom anything else than the right to live as we wish? Nothing else. Freedom is the right to live as we wish. And I want us to understand that the Bible says if you live as you wish, you are a slave to sin. And we're going to look at that this morning. So, is your thinking from the Bible is the first challenge this morning. Is your thinking from the Bible or from your culture, from your philosophy class? I mean, everyone enjoyed that class, right? Philosophy class or from your family or is it biblical? So, I want us to think about that this morning, and I pray that by the end of it, you could say, I am a slave, but praise God, I'm a slave to Jesus Christ. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to get into the text. God, we are so thankful for this time together this morning where we can read your words. Lord, what a privilege it is to have you communicate to us directly through the Scriptures. God, we pray that you would help us to understand where we have been influenced by the world, by our families, by ourselves, and where our thinking needs to change. Lord, help us to think biblically. Help us to have a right understanding of who we are. Lord, that we might bring you honor and glory. Lord, I'm so thankful for the truths that are in this text this morning. That, Lord, Lord, though we once were slaves to sin, we have now been made slaves to God. And while that might sound not great to our ears this morning, God, I pray that by the time we're done here, that we would understand that it is a great thing and it is a really good thing. And may we embrace that both now and for all of eternity. Lord, we love you. And we, uh, we ask that you would lead this preacher so that we might hear from you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so Romans chapter 6, verses 15 to 23. Romans chapter 6, 15 to 23. I'm going to read it, and then we're going to study it together. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know? That if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. 
But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification in its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So three realities that must be embraced as believers. Three realities that must be embraced as believers. First, realize your status as slaves. As I have already prefaced it, you are a slave this morning. That is your current condition. Every single person on this planet is a slave. The only question is, who is your master? That's the only question. He began by asking a question, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. If you've been with us for a few weeks here in Romans, you'll note that this is very similar to Romans chapter 6, verse 1, where he said, shall we sin that grace might abound? This whole idea that when we hear the word grace, that automatically means that I can just do whatever I want. He's alluding to what it says in Romans 6, 14, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. So then again, the question is, well, if I'm under grace, then I guess I can just do whatever I want. I guess I'm free to sin since I'm not under the law, but under grace. Both verses point the same, uh, both, verse 1 and verse 14 both press the same point. Does the presence of grace encourage us to sin? And in both cases, Paul says what? By no means. He cannot be more emphatic. There is exactly zero truth to that, that I should sin as a result of being under grace. There's no license to sin if you're in Christ. In verses 3 to 14, Paul emphasized that we do not sin because we are united to Christ and the power of sin has been broken and so we are now free to live for God. In these verses, we're going to see that we are no longer to sin because we are no longer enslaved to the master sin and have now become enslaved to God. Stott says this, the emphasis of the former is what has been done to us. We were united to Christ, while the emphasis of the latter is what we did. We, were, we offered ourselves to God to obey him. This action is properly called conversion, when we turn from sin to God. Although, of course, only grace has enabled us to do it, Right? Every single one of us, we were walking in our sin. We were giving ourselves over to our sin. But praise God, hopefully everyone here can say, but there was a day where that stopped and I gave myself over to God. I've been converted. He explains this in verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves... You're slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. To present yourself is to make something available to someone without necessarily involving an actual change of ownership. It's to make available, to provide, to present to. Again, this is a continual thing. It's a present tense verb. It's a habitual process. When you are continually giving yourself over to a master, you are uh, now a slave to that master. Thinking back to the original audience 2,000 years ago, they would have understood this concept very well. 
There was a time in, at that time in history, people would sell themselves over to a master. They would become obedient to a master to free themselves from their financial disaster. And so they would give themselves over. And so this is the analogy he's using here. You're either going to give yourself, when you give yourself over to a master, you're now a slave to him. Spiritually speaking, you are either walking in obedience to sin and thus become a slave to it, which in turn leads to death, or you will walk as a slave to obedience, which leads to righteousness. In the passage that Matt read earlier, this is what Jesus was talking about. You you can't have two masters. When you give yourself over to sin, guess what? You are now a slave to sin. John 8, 34, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. This word slave, it's the word doulos. It is pertaining to a state of being completely controlled by someone or something. It's to be subservient to, to be controlled by. You're either controlled by sin in your life or you're controlled by Christ in righteousness. As you give yourself over to something, then you are controlled by it. If you can give yourself over to sin, then it leads to death, is what his whole point is here. Commentator Moose is this, Christians who have set, been set free from sin by their union with Christ must recognize, that, must recognize that were they constantly to yield to the voice of temptation, they would effectively become slaves of sin again. If you're continually giving yourself over to sin, you become a slave to sin. Without taking anything away from the reality of the transfer from one master to another then, Paul wants to make clear that slavery is ultimately not just a legal status, but a living experience. Not not just when we were justified that we were set free from our sin in a legal sense, but now it is a living experience. Christians who are no longer slaves of sin must no longer live as slaves to sin. This is what Paul is saying here. When you've had a transfer of ownership, you need to live differently. If you do not have a change of life, then you have to ask yourself, who truly is your Lord? Who is your master? By choosing self in your ways, you're choosing sin. Choosing to make it Lord instead of Jesus. Again, no third option, right? There's not like, okay, there's sin, and then there's God, and then there's like this third option, and I'm kind of a free agent, and I kind of, you know, I kind of get to do what I want to do. I mean, the first six chapters have made it really clear, if I do what I want to do, I'm going to be in what camp? The sin camp, right? I choose sin every time. That's, that's our sad reality, right? So when I'm choosing freedom, I'm choosing sin. So there's no make-believe land here, right? Living in reality. Again, we need to hear this because I think there's a whole lot of us like to live in this make-believe place. Part of it is our pride, right? Well, I wasn't really sinning. I know I wasn't really following God either, but I was just kind of in this middle place. That doesn't exist, right? Spouses, as we're trying to reason away our sin to our spouse, 
Well, it wasn't really sin. It was, I, I get it. I wasn't really following Jesus either, but, but it doesn't exist, right? So, so when we fail, let's call it what it is, I sinned and then walk accordingly. Schreiner says this, those who think that freedom is attained by jettisoning obedience to God opt for sin as their Lord. So, so freedom from God equals sin. That's, that's how this works, right? Only two options. I either choose to walk in sin, which leads to death, or I choose to walk in obedience, which leads to righteousness. Daily, you're faced with that decision. Will you choose to walk in obedience to the Lord, or will you choose sin? Every day, you're making that choice. We must no longer live as slaves of sin. Those in Christ now walk in obedience, and the result of that is righteousness. This should be the habitual pattern of your life. A pattern of walking in obedience to the word of God as opposed to your old life of walking in disobedience. The righteousness here is speaking of sanctification whereby you and I become more and more like Jesus and ultimately glorification where the work will be complete when we see Jesus face to face where it's all said and done. So living under grace not only not only brings about justification, being right, right, right with God legally, it results in a life that is being changed day by day by that same grace. So, whose slave are you this morning? Slave of Christ and righteousness or slave of sin, which leads to death? Realize your status as slaves. Stott says this, slavery demands a total, radical, exclusive obedience. For no one can be the slave of two masters, as Jesus said. So once we have offered ourselves to him as slaves, we are permanently and unconditionally at his disposal. There is no possibility of going back on this. Having chosen our master, we have no further choice but to obey him. This is why Jesus says, Count the cost. If you're going to follow me, there will be a cost. You can't say, well, I want Jesus as my Savior. I'm going to hold off on the Lord part, maybe later on that, but then we'll, that's not, again, that's not a biblical concept. Either sin is your Lord or Christ is your Lord, but you need to be all in and stop dabbling with sin in your life. This needs to be your mindset as believers. We're going to get into this as we continue on. Are you perfect? Anyone here without sin? Nope. But what's the habitual pattern of your life? What's, as you look on this last week, who's, who's, who's your master? Is it sin or is it Christ? As you look at the fruit of your life, When you choose Christ, you chose to change masters. When you were converted, you said, I will follow you. So, realize your status as slaves. Secondly, recall your surrender to your Savior. This is now where he breaks it all down. Don't, don't you remember what happened here? Don't you, don't you know? Again, this, this continual 
pattern of like, don't you know? Don't you understand? This is your reality in Christ. It just as he did in verses 1 through 14, like you need to understand these things so that you might live accordingly. First, we see the, the gospel. So recall your surrender to your Savior. First, we see that the change happened with gospel truth. Verse 17, there's been a radical change in your life because of gospel truth. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Listen, you were a slave to sin, but that's not your story anymore. You remember what it was like to walk with sin as your master? The only question when it came to your old life was, was how often you would sin and to what extent you would sin. It wasn't whether or not you would sin. It was just a matter of how much you were going to sin. Not everybody wound up in jail as a result of their sin. Not everybody had addictions in your life as a result of sin. That's not everybody's story, but you were still enslaved in your sin. Lives were being destroyed as a result of your sin. You were unable to walk in obedience to God. That was your story. But thanks be to God. This is the power of the gospel. Who did it? God. Like he can't even, he can't even wait to give the proclamation and praise to the one whom it's due, right? He starts off with it. But thanks be to God. You were slaves to sin, but now, what? You become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to what you're committed. Thanks be to God. Because of the grace of God in your life, you now have a new ma master. This was no superficial change, right? Listen, if you're just looking to upgrade your life, so you're like, oh, I guess I'll go to church. I think it makes you a good person. So you came here and you're like, okay, I got to figure out how to put on the wardrobe here, right? What's it look like to look like the rest of this crew? And you're like, okay, what's that Ten Commandment thing? I'm going to have to try to work on these things. And you try to put on an outward exterior to look like a Christian. Guess what? You're still walking like this, enslaved in your sin, right? You are still enslaved in the, sh the shackles of your sin, you, this Christianity doesn't happen as a result of outward actions. It begins with the heart. So important that we understand that. It begins from the heart. Apart from Christ, you have a hardened heart. You have a callous heart. You could care less of what God wants. You, you hear the scriptures, you're like, whatever. And the only time that you think that it might be helpful is like, well, that girl I like, she seems to kind of follow this, so I guess uh, maybe I'll try to pretend that I'm a Christian and see if I can get with her, right? Or vice versa, like that kind of world, right? Other than that, you could care less what it had to say. You had no concern for it. But God has given us what? New hearts. 
new minds. We talked about this last week, just as Ezekiel and Jeremiah talked about in the New Covenant. If you are in Christ, you've been given a new heart and a new mind. And so now you're able to walk in obedience to him. You became obedient from the heart. How did that happen? Just in case we're not understanding how that happened. You were walking in your sin. And in one moment, for the first time in your life, you realized you were walking in your sin. And you came under conviction that you were a sinner who deserved condemnation. But then you heard that there's hope in Christ. That he died in your place. That as he hung on the cross, he took the sins of all who would believe in him and he placed them on himself and he took your punishment. And that whoever would place their faith in him would be forgiven. That their sins would be forgiven and instead would be given Christ's righteousness. Do you remember that day in your life? where you were walking in that and you became obedient from the heart when you finally realized, like, Lord, I am, I am nothing without you. I deserve condemnation. I have sinned against you, a holy God. But praise God that you, that you are so much greater than I. You loved me and gave your son for me. And now as a result of what he has done, I can be reconciled to you. And I have now a new heart and a new mind. And I'm able to walk in obedience to you, my new master. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. This last part of the verse is interesting in that it might, be, it might seem that, and, and even in the way it's translated, it might be seeming, seeming that we are the ones who are committing ourselves to the obedience. But I think Schreiner and, and some of the different translations um, have it right. NIV says this, you have come to obey from the heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. In other words, there's been a transfer of ownership. The Holman Christian Standard says it like this, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching you were transferred to. There's been a change of ownership. You've been delivered over to another power. Sin no longer is over you. Now you're, over, you're under Christ. Thanks be to God. Both, in both cases, the verb tense is passive. In other words, you weren't doing it. It was done for you. The Lord God has done you. He has done this for you. As, you. as he gave you faith and you placed your faith in him, then you were transferred from the ownership of sin to the ownership of of God. Thanks be to God. Through the power of the gospel, we have been transformed and now are given over to a new obedience to the teaching of the gospel that we have now received. This leads to gospel transfer, verse 18. Gospel transfer. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. He's just breaking it down. Okay, so this is who you were then there was this change of ownership. The result of that, you've been set free from sin and now you're slaves to righteousness. We're not free to do now whatever we want. Based on what we think, we're now free to obey Christ. He's broken the chains of the old master. 
And now we become slaves of righteousness. Remaining the same person is not an option. Remaining who you were before you encountered Christ is not an option. You you cannot continue to live in your sin. You've been set free from that, so now you pursue Christ. You are a slave of righteousness. He's a whole new master. Again, I want us to understand the idea of only asking Jesus to be your Savior and not your Lord is not in the Bible. Anyone ever hear that message? Any, anyone ever think that message? Maybe when you're younger, maybe even today, you're like, love the Savior part. Don't want to go to hell. Maybe later I'll make him my Lord. That's not how this works. When you came to Christ in faith, you made him your Lord. It's an awesome change of ownership. Let's just think about that for a second. You were in the kingdom of darkness, and now you're in the kingdom of light. You were enslaved in your sin. Now you are free to walk in obedience. You were following the will of your father, Satan. Satan who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Now you're with the Father, God, who wants to give you life and have it abundantly. Instead of a life full of sin, we can now have a life full of righteousness. Thanks be to God. Like, wow. He's the one who does the work. This is your reality, believer. Do you understand that this morning? Or has sin deceived you in thinking that you still owe him something? That you should somehow gain by following your old master? The result of this gospel transfer is gospel transformation. A whole new way of living. He says in beginning, verse 19, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Paul's like, okay, I get it. The analogy is maybe lacking a little bit. But for the sake of you, I'm using this illustration Now, where does this illustration fall apart? Can you name any other earthly master like the Lord Jesus Christ who would be so benevolent, so patient, so kind to his servants? This is where the analogy kind of falls apart a little bit. On our side, we are his slaves. We owe him our 100% obedience and allegiance. He is our Lord. He is our master. And so he says, you know, maybe the analogy is a little inadequate, but I'm using it that you might understand how this works. I love how God is so 
faithful, how he condescends himself to us in the sense like, can, let me help you understand, right? Just like you would get down on your knees and try to help your child who was three or four. And like, can, can, like let, me, let me put it like this, right? So you might understand. He's saying, listen, you were slaves to sin. Now you are slaves to righteousness. So now live like this. Note, for just as you were, now what? So now, there's a change. It says, in your old life, you lived your whole life as slaves to impurity and lawlessness. Impurity usually refers to sexual sin. And lawlessness is basically everything else. Every, every other sin that's out there. I find it interesting that Paul, 2,000 years ago, would say there's impurity, sexual sin, and then there's all other sin, and that's who you were enslaved to. That's what you were doing before. 2,000 years later, any, any sexual sin in our society? Rampant, right? I, I mean, the 60s did their job, apparently, right? This whole sexual revolution. It, 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 there is no longer shame over sexual sin in our society. And in fact, society sits on their high horse and looks down on anyone who would dare say that you could basically do whatever you want sexually. How dare you say that? You really want to take away our freedom, which is slavery? I mean, it's, it's front and center, sexual sin, still, 2,000 years later. And Paul says, do you remember that was your life? Enslaved to that? Enslaved to all kinds of sin in your life? Note, what did lawlessness do? It led to more lawlessness, right? This is part of the deception of sin. Just one more time. Just one more time. You are totally going to be fulfilled this time. You will never need to do this again. Just one more time. Which leads to more lawlessness and more lawlessness. Over and over again. Giving into gossip, envy, lust, greed. Just one more drink. Just one more high. Just one more night sin. But you find what? Sin is never satisfied, ever. And it leaves you feeling empty and wanting more. It is a wicked, evil taskmaster that continues to lie. This was your old life. But he says, so now, because you've been set free from that, like going back to that original question, should we sin that we're under grace? Are you crazy? Why would you do that? Now, so now what? Give yourself to righteousness. 
Because your heart has been radically changed by the gospel, you are free now to do so. Our outlook should not be, I, 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 sh- I should get around to that sometime, right? Maybe, I some, maybe sometime I should walk in obedience to him. It should be, I must walk in righteousness. I have been purchased by a new master. Sanctification here refers to being set aside for God's use. More and more and more. You know that same pattern, that same analogy where you gave yourself over for sin, which resulted in more sin, which resulted in more sin? It's the same with righteousness. Give yourself over to righteousness, which will result in more righteousness, which will result in more, you'll become more and more like Jesus. That's the process of sanctification that he is doing in your life by his grace. So now walk in obedience. May this be so for all of us here this morning. Statistically speaking, sexual sin in the church in Canada does not look a lot different than in the world. Other than our understanding that maybe it's not okay. This ought not to be as believers and does not need to be in your life any longer. Can I just, can I just tell you, some of you don't know <laughs> the things I get to see. There's so many of you who are walking in that sin of sexual sin, but you sought help and you found grace at the cross and you're walking in freedom today. Can I just tell you, it's so encouraging to my soul. And I'm saying that so that everyone can hear that here this morning. If you're walking in any sin and you know it has a grip on you right now, seek help. Seek a brother and sister to walk alongside you. Hebrews 3.13 says we got to keep coming together. Why? Because of the deceitfulness of sin. If you're walking by yourself, you just kind of get these blinders on and you become blinded to the deceitfulness of sin. We need each other. Do not be afraid. If you know somebody's walking in a sexual sin, do not be afraid to go to them in love and say, let me help you. You know this isn't God's way for you. You are choosing what is destructive. You are choosing something that will destroy you. Please, let me help you. And walk in your new obedience to Christ instead. Over and over again, I've seen the power of God to free people from sin. Thanks be to God. Do you ever use the words, I can't help myself, in describing your sin? That's a lie of Satan. If you are a child of God, you can help yourself. Well, let's be honest. Not really, not you, right? Because what has he said? Thanks be to God. As you submit yourself to him and remember who you are in Christ, you can say no every time to sin. So, that's pretty good news. Anyone anyone think that? We've been freed from that old taskmaster. 
Do you know what that means for your future as a result of that? Do you know what that means for today? That brings us to our last point. Three realities that must be embraced as believers. The last thing is this. Relish your satisfaction in salvation. Relish your satisfaction in salvation. This is such a key and important point in your battle against sin. Relish your satisfaction in salvation. He wants you to be convinced that to be a slave of righteousness is an incredible gift of God. Listen, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness, right? When you were a slave to sin, righteousness had no power over you. You didn't think about, I don't know, is this the right thing or not? You didn't really care. The only thing you had to ask yourself is how much trouble what I'm going to get into for doing what I'm about to do. How can I do damage control to get what I really want here? You were free, quote unquote, to do whatever you wanted, so you thought. But you were a slave to sin. You were, you were serving the master's sin. You did what it says in Romans 3.12, all have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Every single one of us were walking in rebellion against God. Consider the impact that had on your life, verse 21. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of these things is death. So how did that work out for you? Continually giving yourself over to sin. What was the fruit of a life lived apart from righteousness? He's challenging the reader to think about what is the end result of pursuing sin? What came of that? It was not good. When you chose to sin, you were choosing that which still kills and destroys. You were choosing destruction. You were choosing shame. Schreiner says this, looking back now, they are ashamed of their conduct prior to their conversion. If this is the case, then the motiva motivation to present themselves to righteousness is compelling for the consequence of life under the power of sin was unsatisfying. Sadly, if you were saved later in life, you know that shame all too well. You look back and think, wow. If I could only go back, if I could only go back and, and, and know Christ earlier in life, I, there's so much shame I would have been spared. Listen, teenagers, young people, I did youth ministry long enough, I was a teen, that you can fall under this lie that I'm just going to enjoy my sin now. And then later, I'm going to give my life to Christ. Listen to what the text is saying. If you choose that and God is gracious and you still somehow come to faith in him later in life, you will be ashamed of the things that you did and you will have wished that you could turn back time and got those things changed in your life. Do not listen to the lies of Satan. 
for the end of those things is death. It's easy for you and I to begin to look at those who are walking in sin and think that somehow they have life better. Let's be honest. There's, there's times in your life where you start thinking, you start wondering, is it really worth it following Christ? Is it, you know, I look around, it seems like all my neighbors are really happy right now. I'm not so happy. Looks like my neighbors have a better marriage than we do and we're supposedly Christians. I, what's the point? You start thinking like Asaph in Psalm 73. He says this, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure, pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. Listen, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Then he continues on and says, like, look at all the great things they have going on. But then he starts to consider their end. He goes to church. Psalm 73, 16 to 20. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went to the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. Truly, you have set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are utterly destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by tears. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. That is the end of sin. It is death. Death physically, spiritually, eternally. Do not be deceived. Schreiner says this. We are now prepared to see how the verse functions and the argument as a whole. It is not optional for believers to present themselves as slaves of righteousness. Is not optional for them to present themselves as slaves of righteousness. The outcome of a life of sin is death. There is no option here. Shall I be a slave of righteousness? I'm not sure. I'm totally undecided. You cannot waver on this. You must be fully committed to be a slave of righteousness. For the end of sin is death. But now, verse 22, but now that you have been set free from sin, and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Look at the comparison. Seems like a no-brainer, doesn't it? What am I going to choose? The old life, which, which brought shame and misery and pain, broken relationships, choosing that or choosing Christ? Which what? Leads to sanctification in its end, eternal life. Leads to a holy life. And in the end, life served forever with him. Eternal life. Listen, I get it. It's 100% contrary to the world. Right? Oh, you're going to follow God. You're really going to give up a lot. You are. Misery. Shame. Regret. The inevitable result of our relationship to Christ and having him as the master is that it leads to sanctification. The ultimate result is that it leads to life, eternal life. Look at the fruit of your life. What do your life's actions, what does your life's direction all say about who is the Lord of your life? 
Is sin the Lord of your life or is Christ the Lord of your life? Are you constantly worried about someone finding out about you? That if the wrong person came along at the wrong time, they would see you for who you really are? Are you continually looking over your shoulder, wondering if someone's going to find out about your sin? It's a life of shame. As you look back on your life, do you see the carnage due to the sin in your life? If this is true, listen, repent today. Repent today. Choose Christ. Choose life. Listen, think about what it looks like to choose Christ. To see him at work in your life each day. Seeing an increase in these things. Joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Love. Self-control. Wouldn't that be great to see that increase more and more and more in your life? How does that happen? By becoming a slave to God, by giving yourself over to him and saying no to sin and walking in righteousness day in and day out. Becoming increasingly a person of compassion. A person who's growing in their love for Christ day in and day out. A person who's growing in their love for the body of Christ and for those who are lost. This is what it looks like to walk in Christ. And in the end, it leads to eternal life. Listen, the fruit matters. Revelation, as he sends letters to the seven churches, he says this over and over again, I know your works. He's looking at your life. If he was to write a letter to you, what would he say? Would he say, listen, your life is going in a pattern that ought not to be. If you do not repent, it will not go well with you. Or would he say, keep going. Keep going. You're doing great. Now, Paul sums it all up in one of the most well-known verses we all know. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What do you get for payment for a life dedicated to sin? Death. Physically, spiritually, eternally. That's your payment for a life given to the master sin. There's no wiggle room here. There's no third option. First thing this is we're, we're meeting in a small group. Last week somebody noted this. What do you expect now to see in the second part? The wages of sin is death, and now the wages of your obedience is eternal life. Is that what it says? I don't, I'm, I, my Bible's back here. What does it say? It's a free gift. It's a free gift, just in case you forgot how this all works. He has to continue to remind us over and over again. It's not about your works as far as the, you uh, being saved. 
It's a free gift of God. All of it is grace. The new works that are a part of your life, that's just the overflow of what God is doing in your life. You, it is a free gift of God, this eternal life. How is it found? In Christ Jesus, our Lord. In order to have a gift, you need to what? Take it. Right? Kind of had Christmas a couple months ago, right? Underneath the tree, there were some gifts for you. How did you take the, how did you get the gift? You had to take it, right? You had to receive it. This morning, if you have never received Jesus Christ as your Lord, then the free gift is still waiting. And on this side of salvation, it seems like, are you kidding me? It's right there. It's right there. All you have to do is take it. Christ has done it all. And, and, and if you just would receive that free gift of life and, and turn from your sin and make him your Lord, I'm telling you, you will never, ever regret it. <laughs> like, and, and if you had some kind of power, you'd be like, how do I change this person's mind? Does anyone relate to this? Right? How, how do, only, only God can do that. And so we plead with God, please change their heart. Please change their mind. Help them to see that they need to receive that gift. This morning, I'm pleading with you, if you've never received the gift, receive it today. 